Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Father, we want to thank you today that we can draw close to you through prayer, through Bible study. And Father, we're just praying that we could truly enter into this story uh, and see what it has to say to us personally in 2022. So Lord, what are you trying to say to each of us uh, this morning? What's, what's the new word? What's the guidance uh, that you want to give us? So Lord, we, we just come. We open our hearts wide. Uh, be our teacher today, Holy Spirit. And we thank you ahead of time uh, for touching each one of our lives. And it's in your name we ask it, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> Away we go. Let me read uh, Genesis 22. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And the Lord said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God told him. The third day, Abraham raised his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go yonder and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took his hand in the fire and the knife. And the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there, and he arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son for me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked to behold. Behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mouth of the Lord, it will be provided. 
Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you, I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. And now it came about after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Michlah also has born children to your brother Nahor, Oz his firstborn, and Buzz his brother, and Kemiolah, the father Aram, and Chesed, and Hazel, and Pildash, and Jeldel, and Bethelel. And Bethelah became the father of Rebekah. These eight Milhah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. And his concubine, whose name was Remol, also bore Terbah and Geham and Tehash and Mecca. Well, I don't know if I said those names exactly right, folks, but uh, aren't you glad your kids don't have those names, huh? Okay, well, great to be with each of you. Uh, we're going to look at, again, Genesis 22. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, you get these different soaps handed to you, you don't choose. Hey man, every one this month, I seem to get the best and the cream of the crop. So I don't know if I can thank Jason or somebody, but uh, I've really got some really interesting studies here. Okay, very much in the beginning, 22. And it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. Believe it or not, brothers and sisters, God specifically allows tests in your life and mine. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but I don't know about you. Uh, when I was at school, I hated tests. I did not like tests. I detested tests because it was a lot of work to prepare for those. Uh, it, it just wasn't fun. It didn't matter what the test in high school or when it was in college or seminary, uh, tests just were not fun. Uh, I, anybody here that enjoyed tests? Uh, if you do, I'm going to definitely pray for you, because I, I don't think anybody likes tests. Uh, so my question is, you know, when, when the teacher gives you a test, uh, do they do that uh, just to be a pain in the neck and to torment you? I mean, what's, what's the purpose when a teacher gives a test is it there just to make your life tough? And, you know, if you really think carefully about that, like what, what is the purpose of a test? And I jotted down this. I think it makes sense. Uh, the purpose of a test is to help us display the fact that we've mastered and understood the material we were tested on. Okay, let me try it again. So what is the purpose of a test? The purpose of a test is to help us be able to display the fact that we have mastered and we've understood the material we're tested on. So folks, God is the master teacher and he is doing everything he can to allow us to master the topic of living the Christian life. That's the ball game. He wants us to really get it. How do we indeed live the Christian life? That's the journey that we have 
or 70, 80, 90, whatever years we have, it's how do we master that? So let me just give you a couple verses to prove that I'm not just dreaming this up about this idea that God allows tests in your life. <clears throat> let me back it up with some scriptures. Okay. Psalm 11, 5. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. Psalm 7, 9. The righteous God tries the hearts and their minds. Psalm 66, 10. For thou hast tried us, O God, thou hast refined us as silver is refined more and more. Okay, there we are. God tests us. Let me give you a couple of, if, if that didn't give you enough proof, those are some of the Old Testaments. But if you go uh, into the New Testament, uh, you can see there's other references to tests. So if you look at, uh, let me give you James 1. James 1, verse 12, it says this. Blessed is a man. And it's not just a man, it's a woman. It's, you know, we're not gender specific. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Who perseveres under trial and is approved. In other words, They've passed the test, okay? Uh, James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter what? Various trials. Knowing, here it is, that the testing of your faith produces endurance, that endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's the bottom line. What is God looking for? There is the bottom line, that you, each of us on the screen, would be perfect. That means mature and complete, lacking nothing. And to get you there, God has to allow the testing of your faith, which produces the endurance, which gets the maturity. Okay. Um, there's another verse very similar to that. It's in First Peter, First Peter chapter one, and verse six. It says this. In this you greatly rejoice, even now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Here it is, that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though, here it is, tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Back there is talking about the testing of fire. So let me give you just a little background about that. Uh, when they would get gold or silver and get it from the earth, it was never pure silver or pure gold. It had mixtures of ores in it. So what they would do is they would put fire underneath this ore that was there in the pan, and they'd fire it up hot, hot, hot. And the, what they would call the dregs or the impurities would begin to rise to the surfaces like, like a scum on the surface they would then scoop off the scum. They'd fire it up hotter. As they fired it up even hotter, more of the impurities would come to the surface, they'd scoop it off. And they kept doing this over and over and over, the fire burning the impurities and bringing them to the surface. So the bottom line is how did they know when the test was finished? And it's really kind of cool 
they knew when the person that was doing the, the firing and the testing would look literally into the silver or the gold and they could see a perfect reflection of who them, they were without any distortions. Then they knew they had pure silver or pure gold. And I think there is an analogy here that God allows tests in our lives. He allows the fire in our lives to bring the impurities out of us. And we got to bundle them. They're buried inside. We don't see them, but they're there. But the trials expose this junk, bring it to the surface, so that ultimately when Jesus sees us and he looks into us, he sees the perfect image of who he is. So that's the art of Christianity. How do we get out of the way in a sense that Jesus can shine purely through our personalities? That is the end game. So let me give you uh, just another verse here on the idea that God allows testing. This is in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 31. It says this, God left Hezekiah alone. It says here, only to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. God left Hezekiah alone to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. Now, you would think as you read that, what it's saying is God allows a test so that as the test occurs, God can bottom line, know what makes you tick. But that doesn't jive with the attributes of God because one of the attributes of God is he's omniscient, means he knows every single fact in the universe. Nothing escapes his notice. So if you put that together with this statement, it can't mean that God allows a test so that he figures out where you are on your maturity level. Really, the purpose of the test is not to fill God in. He knows what makes us tick. He knows our impurities. He knows how mature we are. The purpose of the test is to show us what's going on inside of us. The test reveals our own maturity level. Let me give you an illustration of this. If you remember the story of Peter. So Jesus is in the upper room. He's about ready to leave. And he's with the, the, the disciples around the table. And he specifically makes a statement to Peter. Uh, it's in Luke 22, verse 31. And he says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. And I would think Peter would be saying, well, thanks. I really appreciate that. Lord, I, I appreciate you allowing this. Note, God permitted Peter to be tested. Very clear. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And then when once you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. And he said to him, Lord. Now, here's what Peter's response is to that. Lord, with you, I am ready to go boat to prison and death. Peter said, I'm sold out. I'm your man. Other people may forsake you, not me, Jesus. I am on board 100%. And Jesus said to him, I say to you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you know me. So what's the point of the test? Jesus clearly knew Peter was going to fall flat on his face. The point of the test was to show Peter, Peter, you think you have genuine faith. You think you have the courage. You think you can pull it off, Peter, that you're going to follow me to the end. Peter, I'm going to allow a test to show you, Peter, deep down inside, your faith isn't what you think it is. And you can't pull this off, Peter, just in Peter 
and his own strength and his own wisdom. So Peter falls flat on his face. He is a broken man. The Bible says he weeps when he denies Jesus. But I believe the purpose of that test was to show Peter, Peter, you're weak. But I believe God doesn't allow weakness for this weakness itself. God allowed the weakness to prepare Peter for the strength of Pentecost. Peter was emptied so at Pentecost he could be filled with the power of the Spirit, which he was. And he speaks and preaches an amazing sermon, and 3,000 people come to Christ. The purpose of the test was to reveal to Peter his own heart, his own shortcomings, his own inabilities, literally to show him, Peter, apart from me, you can't do one single thing. So that's kind of a long intro, but I thought it was important to do that uh, to kind of help us get a handle on Genesis 22. So let's go back to 22 again. Here we go. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. What a heavy-duty test, okay? Uh, God tested Abraham. By the way, it wasn't the first test that God allowed in Abraham's life. The first test, uh, God said, hey, I want you to leave, Abraham. I want you to go. Just go. Go. And I'll tell you what to do. Uh, and it says that Abraham passed test one. Hebrews 11, 8, it says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to the place where he was to receive an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. God said, Abraham, go. Abraham said, okay, Lord, I don't get it, but I'm going. Okay, he passed test number one. Test number two uh, is even a little bit more intense. If you go through Genesis, uh, you'll find that God says, hey, Abraham, you're going to have a child. That's cool. It took 25 years from when God said you're going to have a child to the point where Isaac is born. And Abraham was sorely tried in those 25 years. And I bet many times he'd go to Sarah, hey, Sarah, are you pregnant? Come on, are, are you pregnant? What's going on, Sarah? Are you going? I, and I can't imagine if they're going to have a child. I bet he was sexually intimate with Sarah as much as possible because he's thinking, man, I've got to get a child and we have to have relationships. And it goes on and on and on. And the, the clock's ticking, it's not happening. Uh, so Abraham gets a, a restless at this point. If you look at Genesis, I'm just going to read these. We don't have time to have them uh, looked up individually for you folk, but you write them down. Genesis 15, uh, Abraham says, hey, let my slave, Eliza, let him, Eliza, be my child. And the Lord says to him, Genesis 15, 4, this man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. So God says, nope, not going to be your slave, Abraham, uh-uh. So time clicks on, no baby, frustration. Sarah says to Abraham, hey, you know, it, it isn't working for me. Let's do this. Abraham, go into my, my servant. Go into Hagar, Abraham. Let's see if we can have a child. And yeah, guess what? Abraham has sex with Hagar. Hagar heart gives birth. Ishmael shows up, okay? 
And we think, okay, that's where it is. There's the child. But God addresses that in Genesis 17 and verse 18. Uh, basically, Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee, Lord. But God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Wow. Time has gone on and on and on. After 25 long, long, I mean, you know, we're reading this, and this is a nice story. Get there, get in their heads, feel what they feel. This is tough. God said you're going to be an amazing, big race, but it takes 25 years of waiting. And yet, it was worth it. At the end of 25 years, get what? Isaac is born, and there is a celebration. I tell you, if you talk about any kid that was celebrated, it must have been Isaac. 25 years, uh, and Isaac, here he is, the child of the promise, the one that's going to allow the progeny to go and have these many, many nations that are going to come out of him, this great host of descendants. I mean, they just delight in Isaac. If you, you got to, after 25 years, this is the apple of your eye. Now, after that, guess what? Big test, the biggest test in Abraham's life. 22 again, one. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. The Lord said, I take now your son, your only son. That's almost like rubbing it in. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the land of Moriah, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Wow. How would you feel? I mean, get literally into the shoes of Abraham. This is the greatest delight of his life. And God said, I want you to go and kill him. Now, that must have messed with Abraham's mind because the pagan society at that point the pagans did sacrifice their kids to their foreign gods. And I can hear in, in Abraham's mind, like, look, you got to, what do you mean, God? You, this can't make sense. That's what the heathens do. You're asking me to do what the heathens do? And, and I'm sure it just didn't compute. Like, Lord, this can't be you. It, it can't be you. But I believe as Abraham kept seeking God, as, as he kept praying, somehow there came a deep assurance that he was hearing God in regards to this request. So I think there's the two extremely important things in our journey. We talked about the Christian life, learning to live it. The most important thing that can ever happen in your life and mind is to develop an intimate relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not just intellectual in the brain, I'm talking an experiential love relationship with the Trinity. That is the most important thing in your life and mine. Be honest, shut all that out. I think the second thing that is on the coattails of intimacy is the ability to discern God's voice. So, so important. That is literally one of the major keys of Jesus' ministry. He knew God's will when he walked into situations. He was so tuned to the voice of God, and it, it behooves us 
to be able to tune into God's voice. And it's a journey of a lifetime. But, but Jesus said, my sheep, that means you, if you've made a commitment, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. So God has wired you for sound. And praise God, Abraham was tuned in. He knew this was God. Okay? Uh, so important. Look at verse 3. Okay? He hears God, and what's he do? He obeys. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son. He split wood for the burnt offering, arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Okay? He's faithful. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Isaac's probably scratching his head. Okay, Pop, what are we doing? But he, he, he's obviously following his dad. Verse 5. Now get this interesting statement. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go yonder and we will worship and return to you. Really important statement. Get it. He said, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go yonder, i.e., we're going to go sacrifice Isaac. But then he says this, and we'll worship and get this, return to you. Now, if you begin to put the pieces of the puzzle together, I believe this is the way Abraham's mind began to think, okay? Genesis 12, 2. God said to him, I'm going to make you a great nation. Genesis 17, 4, you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Genesis 15, 5, now look toward the heavens and count the stars, and so shall your descendants be. So I think Abraham's saying, okay, Lord, you can't break the promise. I'm going to have a big progeny and descendants after me. So you, you got to do that. But at the same point, you're asking me to kill my son. So how can this all happen? And it's really cool. If you look at Hebrews 11, you might jot it down. Here is literally how we get into the head of Abraham on, on how does he process this contradiction, you might say. Hebrews 11, 17. It says this, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. Now get this, verse 19. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. That's the head of Abraham. So Abraham says, okay, God, you're asking me to sacrifice my only son, but my son has to go on to be able to produce the Jewish race. So, Lord, the only way it's going to happen, I'm going to kill my kid, but then you're going to raise him up. So that's the thinking and the faith of Abraham at that point. So look at verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I mean, if I was Isaac, I'd be saying, scratching my head, dude, like, what's the deal here, Pop? How's this going to happen? He doesn't tell Isaac at that point, guess what? You're going to be the lamb. Verse 8. 
Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there. He arranged the wood, bound his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, if I'm Isaac, uh, I'm not happy at this point. I, I don't, I don't, I mean, Isaac, come on. He had a feel, fearful, like, Papa, have you lost it? Like, what's the deal? He's literally bound as a sacrifice. And he's beginning to put two and two together. Uh-oh, I am the sacrifice. This is, this is not good. And it gets even hairier. Look at 10. Feel, feel 10 on both sides. Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife. So Abraham's here getting ready to plunge the knife in his son. Talk about, I don't even know what to say, the gut-wrenching feeling that Abraham would feel. This is the kid I love. I waited 25 years, and I'm going to put a knife in him. Let alone if you're Isaac and you're laying there and you're waiting to see Pop put the knife down and slay you. Like, like it's making no sense to the kid. I mean, this is like, this is off the edge of a test. I can't think of a harder test in the Bible than except Jesus going to the cross himself. Unbelievable test. By the way, God permitted it. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him. For I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So again, I don't believe that was to fill God in. I know God knew everything Abraham was going to do. So that test was not really to show God like, hey, is Abraham really going to go the whole way or not? No, no, no. God knew the picture. The purpose of the test was to show Abraham, you got what it takes, buddy. You have a faith that is absolutely unbelievable, a supernatural faith. So that's why he's called basically the father of faith of the Jewish nation, displaying probably the greatest faith in the Old Testament of what he'd done. 13, then Abraham raised his eyes and looked to behold behind him a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. It will be provided. The name uh, the Lord will provide is, and you've probably heard it. We There's a song, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide, and he will. Philippians 4.19, Paul put it this way. My God shall supply, what? All your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply all your needs. So some of our, our wrestling and our education and our tests in life are to show us like what's a real need and what's a want. Sometimes we think our wants are needs and we miss something. So <laughs> kind of wrapping up here, let me just say uh, a couple of things. Number one, 
how would we do if we would be Abraham? How, how obedient, he obeyed God to the point of killing his own kid. That's, that is, folks, that is heavy duty obedience. You know, it's, it's very easy to say, Lord, I'll obey you and we do it when we're comfortable. You know, how far will I follow Jesus? Oh, Lord, I'll do whatever. Quote, as long as it's comfortable. My question, and I got to throw it not just to you, but to me as well, is just how far will I follow Jesus? How far will you follow Jesus? How fully will we be obedient to the Lord when he asks something of us? Will we obey him when we're fearful and he puts us out on the ledge? Will we trust him when we're scared out of our mind? Will we still do what we believe God's asking us to do? Will we obey God when we don't understand fully what he's asking? I don't think Abraham fully understood the scoop of slaying my kid, but he knew he heard God. So will we obey God even when, Lord, this is not logical. I don't understand why you're asking me to do it, but I know you want me to do it. Will we do it? Will we obey God when we don't feel anything? That's a major test. You go through the Bible. Some of the major tests are when God seems to be quiet and he says nothing. Or when you can't sense God's presence, where the Bible says God hides his face. Will we still be obedient? no matter what. So that's, that's, that's number one. How far will you follow Jesus? How far will I follow Jesus? Will I be obedient? Obedience is a big word. If you go to the concordance, which lists all the words in the Bible and how often they're used, obedience is one of the most majorly used words in the Bible. And it's so important because our obedience really shows how far I really trust the Lord. So that's a challenge. Number one, how far? Number two, I would encourage you, don't resist the tests that God allows in your life, but learn to embrace them because it's through the tests you're going to grow stronger in your Christian walk. It's through the tests you get stronger. My challenge right now is I'm trying to learn, and I'm not successful, but at least I think I'm on the right road, is if God's allowing a test, he's allowing it for a good reason. Therefore, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, in everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Didn't say give thanks for everything. It says in everything. So, folks, any of us can praise God when the sun's shining and life's smooth. Everything's going well. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You're good. But when all of life begins to crash upon you and the lights go out and your feelings go crazy, and you can't sense God, and it's making no sense, that's where the action's at. I like what somebody said, can we trust him in the middle of the mess? Anybody can trust him like the Red Sea. When you're on the other side, the sea opens, oh, hallelujah, but can you trust God in the middle of a mess? When you're in the middle of a trial, nothing makes sense, you can't locate God, that's where the action is. Can we even go as far as saying, Lord, I'm giving you thanks. I don't understand it. I don't feel it. It hurts, Lord. But God, you got to be doing a good thing by allowing the test because you're a good God. Big, 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 big challenge. So it's a challenge. 
Can we give thanks even in the hard times? Because God being a good God, if he allows a test, he has a good purpose for it. The third thing would be to ask the question, how am I doing when the tests come my way? How, do I, how am I doing? How are you doing? Am I passing the tests or am I failing that? And then they ask yourself the question, well, why am I failing the test? What's the issue? Why, why, why can't I pass this test? Or on the other hand, if I am passing the test, so why am I passing the test? So, it, it, you know, like, it's like, how am I really doing when tests come my way? And then the last thing uh, <clears throat> is that God wants to provide through the test. Jehovah Jireh. I believe that God was faithful. He provided for Abraham. I believe he wants to provide for you and he wants to provide for me. I believe he wants to provide guidance so we can make good decisions. I believe he wants to provide grace and strength in the time of need. I think many times when we are in a hard time, God provides. There's times literally God provides finances, right? Sometimes we're ill. Sometimes God provides clearly health. Sometimes we're in relationship issues and we cry out, God, work in this relationship and God comes through. So I believe God wants to provide, but sometimes God provides in another way. And I'm using Paul as an illustration as I wrap up. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is given a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. And I think God left it vague for a purpose because we could plug in our hard time. And it says, God permitted a thorn in the flesh. And uh, Paul says here, 2 Corinthians 12, 8, concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart. God, remove the thorn. It's driving me nuts. And God says to, to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is perfected in weakness. And when Paul heard that, here's Paul's knee-jerk reaction. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. So sometimes God provides not by removing the problem, but by giving us grace to go through it. So folks, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, we have a good God. I can tell you again, that good God will allow tests in our lives, but he's allowing a test not to make your life miserable, but to grow you up and to grow me up so that when he looks at us, he can see Jesus climbing, just shining brightly through us without all the junk that can block the move of the spirit in us and through us. So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. Lord, as we look at probably one of the biggest tests in the entire Bible where you asked Abraham to slay his only son. So that Abraham could see just how far do I trust God? How far am I willing to be obedient? So Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, we're honest, we don't like tests. They're not fun, Lord. They're painful. They're miserable. They're frustrating. They're confusing. Oh, Lord, all kind of adjectives we could use. 
But Lord, we thank you that if you allow a hard time, uh, 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 if you allow a test, Lord, it's only because you're trying to do something good. Lord, build into us the faith and the trust that when the hard times come, as we know they will, Lord, that you are trying to do a good thing. Help us, Lord. Give us grace, even in the hard times, to be able to say, I'm going to give thanks, Lord, not necessarily for the pain and heartache, but I'm giving you thanks because you're doing something good, Lord, in this task. You're doing something good. And I pray for each one here individually, Lord. I don't know what's going on in each life, but you do. You know, Lord, where they are at. You know the pain. You know the test. You know the heartache. You know the struggle. But Lord, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters. Give each of us grace, Lord, to trust. Give us grace to obey, Lord, that you get the glory and the honor and that you get the praise. So we thank you, Lord, and we pray it in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.